Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Mikel Arteta has been charged by the FA. Gabriel Martinelli scores his first goal for Brazil and is Ivan Tony set to stay at Brentford at least until the end of the season? All of that plus your questions answered on this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's walk in, go guys! Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Happy Friday. Um, I hope you're all looking forward to a, a wonderful weekend, a weekend where we can rest, where we can chill out, where we don't have to um, be emotional or potentially be upset as a consequence or as the result of a bad Arsenal performance slash result. We can just put our feet up sit down, watch a couple of movies, you know, have a few beers, have a nice takeaway. That's what the weekend is all about, right? No, I'm kidding. It's awful without Premier League football. It's awful without the Arsenal. What I will say, though, is what could be more entertaining on a Friday night than watching England versus, wait for it, Malta at Wembley? What a game that's going to be. This, this is why people can't be bothered with international football, because these types of fixtures, they just don't appeal. I'll probably tune in to Italy versus North Macedonia, because that's quite a big game for the Azzurri. But I can't guarantee that I'm going to sit through that in its entirety. Yeah. Anyway, have a good weekend, uh, people. That's the, the the right way to start off the show. Um, let me say a few hellos to some of you joining us in the live chat. I know a fair few of you have been waiting a good while. Um Apologies that I'm a few minutes late starting the stream today. Um, I, I sort of got everything ready, sat down ready, and then the doorbell rang. There was a delivery um, and the guy just took an absolute age to not hand me the parcel, but to fill in these little PDA thing. And he had to take a picture of me receiving it. And uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a bit of a faff. But anyway, um, we're here. And uh, we're ready to go. And we've got loads and loads to get into. We're going to start off by talking Ivan Tony. We're then going to discuss Gabriel Martinelli's big moment before reflecting on that FA charge that Mikel Arteta has been hit with. But I want to say hello to Creambone, to Sammy, to Arsenal Analyzed. Um, we've got Junior in the chat. Sadiq is with us. Henry uh, is here as well. Yontora Fjeldstad, who said, Harry is never late nor early. He's on Cypriot time. I'm glad someone understands. Uh, we've got <laughs> Arsenal Analyze. Derek is with us as well, joining us um, from Australia. And we've got Nav in the chat as well as everybody else. A big hello to all of you. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Before we dive into the content itself, remember, if you haven't done so, subscribe to the channel. You know what you're going to get here by now. And of course, uh, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. That really, really does help. If you're listening to us on any of the audio platforms, please do leave us a review too, because that is really, really important. Without further ado, then let's get into today's or this morning's big story. 
According to TalkSport, the chances of Ivan Tony leaving Brentford this winter are slim. They've gone as far as reporting the Bees are confident he'll sign a new contract. Arsenal are among a number of clubs that have been linked with the player. And I think there's a few points that we need to make here. This talk of him signing a new contract at Brentford, it might well be true. It could be like the David Raya situation where, you know, it was pretty much agreed that David Raya would be leaving on a permanent basis, although not official at this stage. And what he agreed to do as a result of his great relationship with Brentford was to sign a deal that would protect his value from the Brentford side. Right. Brentford hold him very dear to their hearts. He's been a big part of their promotion to the Premier League and then their ability so far to sustain that Premier League status. He scores goals. He's a talisman for them. He is a really, really important player for Brentford. There's no doubt about that. And when you're a club like Brentford, who have to operate on a really tight budget, who have limitations with regards to what they can spend in comparison to some of the other clubs in the league, Brentford are not a big football club at all. They're a wonderful club. I love the way they've done things. I love the way they've gone about it. I think Thomas Frank is incredible. Um, I've spoken to him, as I've mentioned to you guys, many, many times uh, since covering London football um, with BBC Radio London. And he's been a breath of fresh air, open, honest, every single time, even when things haven't gone their way. I really, really like Thomas Frank and I'm a huge admirer of the job that he and the club have done so far. But as I say, when you've got the limitations that Brentford do and you're trying to stay in the Premier League as Brentford are and, you know, you want to maintain that status for as long as possible because financially it's huge for the club. You want to, when you let your best players leave, which will happen eventually, you want to be compensated fairly. You want to get in the type of money that can make a difference, allows you A, to replace and bring in players that are going to help you moving forward, bring in the next crop, if you like. But you also need to put a bit of money in the coffers for the football club. And so by Ivan Tony signing a contract extension, that could well be Brentford's way of saying, look, if an offer of X amount comes in, we will allow you to leave. There's a gentleman's agreement in place. But by having that additional time on your contract, that means that we can kind of stand our ground on that valuation and won't be bullied into selling you for an amount of money that we don't think is fair. So I think there's a bit of that to this, right? I, I don't think that Ivan Tony's going to leave in January. I actually agree with that TalkSport report. You know, it just makes the most sense. I think he will probably go in the summer, but I think that will be after he signs a deal, which, as I say, protects Brentford's uh, position. Signing him in January, I think for anybody, would be a bit of a risk, given that he's not played for a long time following his ban. And I personally would prefer to kind of study his reintegration first. That's how I look at this. Um, some will disagree. Some will say that we've seen enough evidence of what Ivan Tony's capable of over the course of his Premier League career so far. And that I'm just nitpicking, that I'm being difficult. But to me, you know, I'm not totally convinced about him. I think Arsenal can do better come the summer. I think he's someone who's a really good level Premier League striker. But has he got the ceiling to go on to that top, top level and if not, then I don't think he's someone that Arsenal, who have huge ambitions at the moment, should be moving for. No disrespect to the player, no disrespect to the striker. I've said this before, that he would not be my number one choice at centre forward. Add to that, that you're probably going to have to pay, pay a premium for two reasons. Number one, because you're signing from a fellow Premier League club, and that's just the way the market is at the moment. And number two, because we think that Brentford are going to tie him down on a new deal, which will 
as I say, enhance their ability to be able to stand their ground and wait for what they feel is the right price. So when you take that into consideration, when you factor that in, I think you could go to Italy, I think you could go to Spain, Germany, France, and find the striker of equal talent for half the price. I really do believe that. So he is not at the top of my list. He's not my number one choice. Um, and uh, and if he is indeed going to stay at Brentford for the rest of the season, and we're going to have to wait till the summer to get this striker in anyway, then I don't think he's the one that we should be going for. But please let me know uh, your thoughts uh, on Ivan Tony uh, in the comments section, and we'll um, we'll touch on those uh, a little bit later on in the show. Remember, we're going to take your questions. We're still going to talk Gabriel Martinelli. We're still going to talk Mikel Arteta's charge. So don't go anywhere. Lots and lots to come right after this. Gabriel Martinelli scored Brazil's opener in their 2-1 defeat in Colombia overnight. The game kicked off at midnight UK time last night. Too late for me. I'm getting too old for that. I fall on the sofa. I fall asleep on the sofa, I should say, at 9pm these days sometimes. It's really bad, isn't it? Um, anyway, the Arsenal star scored just four minutes in with an excellent finish after some brilliant combination play with Real Madrid's Vinicius Jr. However, a late brace from Liverpool's Luis Diaz saw the Colombians run out 2-1 winners. Now, we'll talk about Martinelli in a minute, right? Because this is no doubt a hugely significant moment for him. And I'm absolutely um, delighted for him because you can tell, you know, with a lot of the Brazilian players that playing for their country is everything. And I know people say that in all walks of football, um, you know, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever nation it is you represent, that is the pinnacle. I don't think it's the same as when it comes to playing for Brazil with a lot of countries. I think that when it comes to Brazil, it's just such a special thing. They're such an iconic side that, you know, it's just different. It just hits different. And, you know, it, it goes back to what we were saying a few days ago. You know, we were talking about Jesus and we were talking about Gabriel and, and Martinelli too. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, it would be nice sometimes to hold them back for Arsenal's benefit. But at the same time, if they feel like that jeopardizes their place in the squad that they would have dreamed of being a part of when they were growing up, when they were kids, then how can you take that away from them? How can you say anything or ask them to do anything that puts them in that position? I don't think you can. And you could see what it meant to Gabriel Martinelli last night to score that goal. Now, of course, the outcome of the game wasn't the one that Brazil wanted. That does put a little bit of a, a downer on it. It does dampen uh, the whole moment, just a little bit for Gabriel Martinelli. But at the same time, it's still a huge, huge um, achievement for him. You know, when you think that that was only his, what, seventh or eighth appearance for the Selecao, he's relatively new to the setup and his performance his last season um, and, and at the start of this campaign have worked his way into the manager's thinking. And now he is proving that he can do it on that stage. The South American qualification campaigns are a real slog. They really, really are. There's a lot of good teams uh, in that group. It isn't like the European one where there's so many teams that we split them all up into seeded groups and you get dead rubber games like England versus Malta, for example, and and some of the others, um, you know, that we've seen over time. You know, we, we just we just got to remember that, I think, that it is a very, very difficult uh, campaign. It is uh, a lot of traveling for the European and especially Premier League based players to have to do. And so they wouldn't do it if they didn't think it was worth it. They do it because they really, really love playing for their countries. And Gabriel Martinelli, um, 
you know, must have been on cloud nine when that ball went in the back of the net. And to combine with Vinicius Jr., start working on him, Agent Martinelli, because we'd love him at the Arsenal. Although you might have to adjust your position. Maybe you don't want him. I don't know. Anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about the Luis Diaz moments because he, of course, scored Colombia's equaliser. And shortly after that, he scored the winning goal or what proved to be the winning goal. And look, this guy has been through hell over the last few weeks. We all know about it. Uh, he's had a, a nightmare time. You know, his father and mother were kidnapped. His mother was released. And it was a long, agonizing wait until his father was released as well. Um, and, and so just imagine what that family have been through. So for Luis Diaz to continue to play football, you know, he, he, he scored that goal for Liverpool at Luton prior to his father being released. He's gone onto the international stage now and turned up in a game that means the world to Colombia you know, at home to Brazil. It's a huge, huge match. And he's got not just the equaliser, but he's got the winner in the space of five minutes. Um, goals on 75 and 79 for Luis Diaz. His father was in the stands. The camera kept panning to him. Um, and he was incredibly emotional watching his son score and ultimately take Colombia to a momentous victory. And, you know, I just wanted to highlight that because it's a really, really special moment um, for Luis Diaz. And I know that football is very tribal. And I know at times, um, you know, we we can f we can allow that, I think, to cloud our judgment on certain issues and certain stories. But when you look at what Luis Diaz and his family have been through, it's impossible not to have sympathy, empathy. And, you know, to see him be the one to step up and produce is, is magic. It was not only a significant result for Colombia because of the fact that it's Brazil and because of the fact that Luis Diaz sort of made that statement, if you like, and sort of showed the world that, you know, he's he's a top, top player with incredible mental resilience. But Colombia leap up to third in the qualification campaign. Um, so they go two places now above Brazil, which is massive. It's massive for the Colombians. So that's why that game was celebrated in the way it was. Or that victory was celebrated in the way it was. And our, the wider point that I made on Twitter this morning, or X, as it's now known, the passion, the colour, um, the noise that you get at South American football games. I don't think you can rival that anywhere in the world. Um, but yeah, as I say, big, 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 big um, moment for uh, Martinelli. And of course, um, you know, a, a, a mixed outing, I would say, for Gabriel Magalhaes. Now, just to be clear um, on the Gabbies, Gabriel Jesus was not involved in any capacity, which I think we can all agree is a good thing. I'm still a little bit concerned, actually, by the fact that there's talk of him potentially, um, you know, stepping up and and being available for the Argentina game, which is coming up next week. Tech gremlins there. Anyway, just wrap the guy up in cotton wool is what I want to say um, on Gabriel Jesus. Leave him out. Don't have him involved. Um, let him continue his recovery. There's been a lot of reaction to the fact that he was called up and that he went away. And I know a lot of us believe and feel that the travel that we're putting on him is unnecessary, given that he's unlike that he was definitely not going to feature in this game against Colombia. And it's touch and go whether he's going to feature against Argentina. The more I think about this, though, the more I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, because I think if it as long as Brazil are responsible with the way they utilize him and treat him, and as long as Arsenal are involved in the conversations, there's no reason why he shouldn't use this time to work his way back to fitness, which would make him closer to fitness when club football returns. 
I, I do think that there is some something to gain and something to benefit from that. If you go back to Thomas Partey, for example, and he played those two games for Ghana, didn't he? Didn't play 90 minutes in either of them. I think he played 45 and 60 odd across the two games. And then when he came back, he was much further along his recovery uh, than he would have been had he stayed at London Coney because he got a bit of game time as well. And as long as that's managed right, you don't mind that. The problem is, is that, you know, you, you, you look at Gabriel Jesus in particular and you think he is someone that is all action. He's someone that can only play at 110%. And when you think about the game we're talking about him potentially coming back into, it's not a friendly against the USA or a friendly against the Canadians. This is a competitive match against Argentina, the fierce rival, the biggest rival. And anybody who's ever watched the Brazil-Argentina game in their life will know that the risk of getting injured, the risk of getting a kick, the risk of, you know, overdoing it when you're returning from injury is probably greater in that game than maybe any other fixture in world football. So, yeah, I am a little bit worried, but I think if if it's done right and if it's managed right, we can potentially benefit from that. Now, Gabriel Magalhaes uh, played at centre-back for Brazil. He's become a regular fixture in the side of late. His performances with Arsenal have been uh, very, very impressive. And I think people are starting to recognise um, his value on the international stage now. Um, however, looking at some of the player ratings off the back of this game, and I didn't watch it in full. I've seen some highlights, seen the goals, all the rest of it. Looking at some of the player ratings, he was probably, if I'm going to go by that, one of the worst players on the pitch last night. And I've seen a couple of big uh, sort of Twitter accounts, X accounts that cover Brazilian football in particular, aiming shots at him this morning, calling him boneheaded, calling him um, just, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit rash, you know, suggesting that he is a bit, you know, chaotic at times. These are all things that I would have said about Gabriel Magalhaes a year and a half, two years ago. So I'm not massively surprised to hear them. And and maybe this highlights what happens when you don't have the calming influence of William Saliba next to you. There's no doubt that the pair of them have elevated each other's games. Or maybe this was just an off night. You know, maybe this was just an off night for Gabriel Magalhaes and we just got to deal with it. And, you know, he's got to accept the criticism and move forward. What I will say as well, just finally on this game, is, you know, people have been speaking about Martinelli in the last few days as a centre forward. And I saw a lot of people kind of quote tweet the video of the goal that he scored and say, well, look, this is proof that Gabriel Martinelli can play at centre forward. To be clear, Gabriel Martinelli didn't play at centre forward for Brazil last night. He played from the left hand side. Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo played as a front two. But of course, given Vinicius Jr.'s tendencies and instincts that will naturally take him out into that left position that he plays so effectively for Real Madrid. There were opportunities for Martinelli to make that run in off the touchline, diagonally infield and get into the box. And that's how that goal played out. If you haven't seen it already, check it out. But that's how it played out. Um, Gabriel Martinelli um, saw the space um, in the sort of centre um, around about the edge of the penalty area his eyes lit up when he spotted it. He made a darting run in there and that's because the space had been created by Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. splitting apart, which they do so, so well. So Martinelli probably can play at centre forward. I've said that before in the past, but I'm like, I just want to be clear. Don't look at the fact that he scored yesterday and just assume that he played at centre forward because that's the narrative at the moment. He played from the left, but he took the opportunities when they presented themselves to dart 
in field. Um, elsewhere in South America, just before we move on, I think this is worth highlighting. Uruguay beat the world champions, Argentina, 2-0 away from home. Bielsa now becoming the first manager to lead Uruguay to victories over Brazil and Argentina in the same year since 1960. It just feels like such a great fit for Uruguay because technically they're, they're massively gifted, right? They've got some really great players. Physically, they've always been really, really powerful and tenacious. And when you combine those two things, it feels like the perfect recipe for Bielsa Ball. So when he took this job, I wasn't surprised. When I heard recently that they were doing really well, I wasn't surprised. They currently sit at second in the qualification uh, table. Only Argentina above them, but they're only two points behind the world champions. And, and Uruguay are on a great course at the moment. And Marcelo Bielsa um, is doing another wonderful job. There's an argument that Marcelo Bielsa sometimes burns people out too quickly. And as a result of that, you see these massive rises and then these really steep declines. The truth is that at international level, I don't think you can do that. And I think because you don't have the players long enough. And I think that's why Bielsa has been a successful international manager um, as well as a, a sort of club manager. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how Uruguay uh, continue through this qualification campaign and where they'll end up at the World Cup should they make it, which I think I'm pretty confident in saying they will. Anyway, we're going to take a really, 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 really short pause. And when we return, uh, we're going to do Mikel Arteta and the FA charges that have been brought against him. We'll also take some of your questions before we wrap it all up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast right here on YouTube or on whatever podcast platform it is you prefer. Catch you in a moment. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome back along to the podcast. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Good to see uh, so many of you with us on this Friday morning. Uh, we're now going to delve into our top story, uh, which is with regards to the Arsenal boss, Mikel Arteta. He was charged yesterday uh, by the um, FA for his outburst, if you want to call it that, his rant um, after the Newcastle United game. And what I want to do is share with you guys uh, exactly what the FA have said, and then uh, we'll react to that. Feel free to react to it too uh, in the comments, and I'll take as many of your reactions uh, as I possibly can. Let's have a look then, right? So this is what uh, the FA have put out. They put this out yesterday at around about 7 p.m. UK time. Regulation and discipline update. Mikel Arteta has been charged with a breach of FA rule E3.1 following comments that he made in media interviews after Arsenal's Premier League game against Newcastle United on Saturday the 4th of November. It's alleged that his comments constitute misconduct as they are insulting towards match officials and or detrimental to the game 
and or bring the game into disrepute. Mikel Arteta has until Tuesday, the 21st of November to uh, to respond uh, to this charge. So, yeah, that's where we're at with this. OK, now. We've talked to death about how poor the decision was um, about the fact that the PGMOL took way too long to release the audio, in my opinion, and they allowed that controversy and that sort of feeling that Arsenal fans and others in the game who, who felt that were in, was an injustice were feeling. And they've allowed this thing to, to, to fester and become worse, in my opinion. The FA, the PGMOL, they have to be quick with this stuff. They have to be quick off the mark when releasing explanations audio. Because the minute you do that, if then people look at it and go, actually, I can understand why you've come to this decision, then the whole story just dies a death. But when you leave it to run for two weeks and then you come out with an explanation that in a lot of people's eyes just isn't good enough, this is what you get. You get managers berating you. You get managers coming out and criticizing you. What I will say is I'm waiting for Roberto De Zerbi's one of these to come out because he sat in a press conference and said that he doesn't like English referees and he doesn't like the way they behave. How is that any better than what Mikel Arteta said? It's it's it, honestly it, it's crazy to me. The double standards are just incredible. Um, the Telegraph have reported today that the FA will seek tough punishment for clubs who criticise referees after charging Arteta for his post Newcastle run. The FA is understood to be hugely concerned by Arteta's comments and the statement of support by the club. So they didn't like the fact that Arsenal came out and said what they said. They didn't like the fact that Arsenal backed their manager and they are supposedly concerned by that. Let me give you my thoughts on this and then I'll take yours from the comments. So please start getting them in. We all knew the charge was coming. Okay, Arteta won't be surprised. Neither will Arsenal. This has been an ongoing thing and it goes back to last season when the Gunners received not one, but a number of apologies from the PGMOL over decisions that ultimately cost them points. Okay, Arteta's outburst was a build-up of frustration. Perhaps in an ideal world, he might have handled it better. But we've got to understand that in the heat of the moment, when emotions are running high, you'll get that type of response from a manager who feels hard done by. It took over two weeks for the audio to be released. And even after that, the debate rages on around whether or not that goal should have stood. So what do we expect? The bigger problem here is the standard of officiating. And while charging anybody who dares to discuss or question the standards might be seen as fair in the eyes of some, it actually means sweeping the real issue under the carpet. This is bigger than Arsenal or any club for that matter. Because the poor implementation of VAR and the declining standards of officiating might be seen as um, an issue to some, but this is this, this is a, a a much bigger thing that we should all be concerned about and we should all be stressing about. I go back to it. The poor implementation of VAR and the declining standard of referees at the top level in England has seen what was, and probably is in terms of level, the best league in the world, descend into chaos. Mikel Arteta isn't the first to take aim at him, uh, at them, and nor will he be the last. That's the reality of it. Until those standards are raised, we're going to have these problems week in, week out. Once those standards are generally at a higher level, outbursts like this can be condemned. 
and strong action can be taken. But the charges feel hollow when the real issue is yet to be addressed to a satisfactory standard. That's how I feel about this. I don't want to talk about this every week. I don't want to talk about this on every show. But with Mikel Arteta being charged, we all knew that that charge was coming. I feel like I have to say it one more time. I really, really do. Let me know uh, your thoughts in the comments. Let's see what some of you guys uh, are saying on this. Um, hold on. Uh, Hacker says, I didn't miss uh, the VAR chat. Good. <laughs> um, Jon says, uh, should Arteta always brag about VAR and say this was the best referee England has? Y yeah, you know, he probably has to. Uh, if he's going to avoid the, the charges. I think if I were the FA and if I were, you know, the authority of the game right now, I would feel like I need to do something, okay? I would feel like I need to do something. I would feel like I need to control this situation in a far more effective way because it is spiralling out of hand. But the real reason it's spiralling out of hand, it's not because Mikel Arteta had a go. It's not because Jurgen Klopp had a go another week. It's not because Roberto De Zerbi doesn't like English referees. It's because the standards are just not good enough. So I don't mind them charging Mikel Arteta, fining him, whatever they're going to do to him, as long as the work is being done in the background to improve the standards, improve the level, and we see that on the pitch moving forward. If that happens, then I'm fine for Mikel Arteta to be charged. And he will see it as a worthwhile thing to take if it means that you're going to get people in those jobs, in those roles, reviewing their performances and improving them and making sure that the general standard is higher. I'm not saying that you're going to get perfection every week and in every game. We know that there are subjective decisions in the game and we know that that can lead to difficulties uh, in terms of getting that consistency right across the board. But for me, you know, this is, as I keep saying, a much bigger issue and a much bigger problem. And this is not something that is exclusive to Arsenal or exclusive to Liverpool or exclusive to anybody else. This is a general problem that we have. And the Premier League is on its way to becoming a laughing stock. People watch the Premier League from abroad that maybe don't follow it as their first league, follow it as their second. Maybe they have a team in Italy. I don't know. They're a Serie A fan, but they dive in and out of the Premier League. They enjoy it uh, when the big games come around. And what are they doing? They're sitting down every week wondering what ridiculous decision we're going to see and whether or not it is going to be players or managers that dictate the outcomes of games or if, in fact, it's going to be somebody sitting at Stockley Park watching a screen. There's no excuse to not be able to get a greater percentage of decisions correct when you have replays available to you. There is no excuse whatsoever. And that's where I'm at on it. Um, anyway, let's get some of uh, your thoughts uh, on this. Uh, keep them coming. Mark Jerome says, because the FA waited until after the PGMOL and Howard Webb said the VAR decisions were correct, do you think they would have still charged Arteta if they were found to be incorrect? Well, they wouldn't have been able to charge him had they have been found to be incorrect. But where I feel uncomfortable with all this is that they waited two weeks, basically, to try and justify why that should have been allowed to stand, when clearly it shouldn't have been, okay? I think most people, most sane-minded people in the football world accept that there was, at the very least, a foul on Gabriel, not to mention all the other things, all the other things that were potentially wrong with that goal. 
So they were waiting. This independent panel, who's in the independent panel, decided that um, the goal should have been allowed to stand. Apparently, there were some ex-players involved in that. Who are they? Who are they? This secret independent panel that's decided to back the PGMO up. Oh, what a surprise. You can't apologize for a decision and charge someone for their reaction to it because that's hypocritical. And so you're right. You know, they would have waited until they could have, A, come up with a reason um, to, uh, you, you know, justify the award of the goal. And then in doing so, they're then able to follow through with the charge. But I doubt somebody was sitting there typing that up, um, you know, uh, sort of a couple of weeks ago. You know, that is something that they were waiting for. They were waiting for the opportunity to throw the book at Mikel Arteta, but they needed to get their ducks in order first. And this is the PGMOL covering its tracks. Mikel Arteta was not wrong to voice his concerns about the standard of officiating because we all feel it. There's not a manager in the world that will sit there in a press conference and tell you that everything's fine. Some do it in a different way, in a slightly less emotional way, and that seems to be fine. It should be about what you say, not how you say it necessarily, because the content of what you're saying is the same. Roberto De Zerbi telling everybody that he doesn't like English referees because of the way they behave is equally as bad as what Mikel Arteta did. Now, both of them have a point because both of them make valid points. And when the standard is as low as it is, then you can't be surprised when those types of comments make their way out into the open. But why throw the book at one and not the other? That's what I'm struggling with, to be honest with you. Anyway, um, what else are you guys saying in the chat? Um, just quickly going back to the Brazil thing. And Gabriel Kieran says, just watch the Brazil highlights. Gabriel, not at fault for any of the goals. Scapegoating again. Kieran, I'm just relaying what I've read this morning um, in reaction to that game. I'm relaying the player ratings that Sofa Score and various other outlets come out with. And, um, and I'm going by some of the, as I say, the reports that I read which did highlight Gabriel's performance at centre-back as a cause for concern. To me, it's a one-off thing. I don't care how he performs for Brazil, to be completely honest with you, as long as he does the business for Arsenal. And before we continue, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking you. We're going to continue with some of your questions after a very, very short pause. Um, so uh, don't go anywhere. Stay where you are. Okay. Um, um, Ian says the real problem is that there's nobody above them holding them to account. He's talking about the officials and they can do as they please without question, without them being questioned. They will not improve and cut out the mistakes. I completely agree. Completely agree. You summarized that perfectly. Olamic says, what do they make of the audio comment that says uh, potential handball? No, he is not the scorer. Exactly. That's another problem with this audio. I, I also said it yesterday. I'm not buying this whole thing of, oh, um, they didn't know where the ball was. You've got a ton of cameras. Look at the timer. Look at the timer on your recording. Pause at the same time. Look at one of your other cameras and see where the ball is. You can't tell me that because the ball was out of shot. You can't judge an offside decision when you've got 30, maybe even 40 cameras. On one of them, you'd be able to locate the ball. It's just a nonsense. It really, really is. 
It really, really is. Okay, um, Junior Gunner says, I just want to go back to talking football again. Uh, me too, me too. I I'm honestly sick of this conversation. I know some people think that I'm enjoying it. I'm not. And I was really and truly over it the other day. I, I was. When we spoke about it on not yesterday's show, but the day before, when we tried to figure out why it was no foul and all the rest of it, and we reacted to the audio and to the mic'd up program, I did say that I don't want to talk about this going forward. But how can I not when I then log on last night to find that Mikel Arteta has been charged by the FA for his comments around this situation. This will be the last conversation we have about that game. I can't promise, though, that we won't be talking about this later on in the season because the standard is on the floor. St. Francis says, unfortunately, nothing will change in officiating because of tribalism in football. How do we get around that part to fight this monster? I've been saying that for so long, mate. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um... Arsenal Analyzed says, I've seen a few people saying that as fans, we could be doing more to force change within the PGMOL, not just managers and players trying. In your opinion, how could we as fans go about this? I don't know. And that's the scary thing about this. I don't think we can have any influence. I've said it before. I think the only people that can have a big influence are the big six clubs. Because I read a stat the other day that those six clubs, the traditional big six I'm talking about, right? So you're talking Arsenal. Man United, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Tottenham, I think. They make up 76% in terms of the Premier League's global audience. So 76% of the Premier League's global audience follow one of those clubs. So they are the ones that hold the power. They are the ones that hold all the cards. Without them, the Premier League product is, is essentially far, far weaker. So that's why I believe that those managers have to put all their differences aside and come together and really voice their concerns, go to the PGMOL, have a meeting, explain their concerns and open the dialogue that we need to move this thing forward. I don't think the fans can do a great deal because the only thing fans could do would be to boycott the Premier League. If the Premier League felt that their product was being damaged, they would be forced to take some sort of action. But the truth is we all love our clubs too much and we're not going to do that, are we? We're not going to do that. Um, Fuad says at the end of the day, Harry football tribalism will hamper any accountability on these refs and their organization. Yeah, you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong. Um, panel says, uh, in my opinion, bring back the Super League. That'll help things. Um, Sammy Guna says, isn't the FA part of the PGMOL board? If so, not surprising that they would stand behind the PGMOL. So the PGMOL is packaged up as this independent organization that looks after referees. However, it is funded by the FA, the Premier League um, and the Football League. And you're right to say that they have uh, members on the PGMOL board. So it isn't this separate thing that they have no control over. They have a huge influence over it. Um, yeah, they, they, they really do. OK, look, I think um, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, for now, I've, I can feel myself getting angry and I don't want to start my Friday angry uh, about the PGMOL and all the, the nonsense we see from them. Thank you all so, so much, as always, for tuning in. It is so, so uh, appreciated. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys in the uh, in the comments as well after the event, after the live stream. If you've got any questions that we can delve into over the weekend, then please leave some in there as well, because you know, it is going to be slow news wise. It is the international break. You know, I, we've kind of been not lucky that we're involved in this situation, but 
the fact that this situation has been ongoing during the international break is at least, if you're looking for the silver lining, giving us something to talk about passionately. But anyway, uh, get involved. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. Subscribe to the channel. If you want to go one further and become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna, the link is in the description below. And I will see you all tomorrow with more. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great Friday. All the best. Mm -hmm.